0: This is Being Better, the podcast about the science behind mindsets and practices that make us happier, wiser and healthier. My name is Julia Sport and I am your host. Join us as each week we break down scientific research and bring you true stories of people from all walks of life to help you make better decisions that will shape your tomorrow. that's it, there's nothing you can do about it, you are one of us now, welcome to the Being Better podcast, Being Better community, this is your go-to place to learn about happiness and health and wisdom and spirituality, basically all the Best stuff. So welcome to the show. It's awesome to have you here with me because this episode is going to be a very good one. It's all about the science behind skincare, how to properly read labels and understand these mile-long names of ingredients. Um, Right now, I just had a thought that maybe I should give you an example of these, you know, very like long chemical substances. However, I decided that maybe it's not the best. Thing to embarrass myself trying to pronounce it because I'm not known for a good pronunciation. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we learn all about these labels. We debunk some myths about the quality and longevity of our favorite beauty products. We share some tips on how you can make them at home safely and effectively. We chat about the misconceptions regarding quote unquote clean beauty and discuss greenwashing in the beauty industry. And finally, we talk about reducing science stigma, especially within online communities. So in this amazing conversation, I was joined by Asia Fee, a chemist, former lab technician, a cancer therapeutic researcher, a business owner, and just a very, very lovely person. She founded her business Alchemist Asia to showcase the beauty of STEM through science-inspired cosmetics and skincare. Her focus is on reducing science stigma in the beauty industry and sharing products that are locally sourced and good for our planet. This chat was so eye-opening and educational and what I truly needed because I don't know how about you, but I certainly didn't know much about any of these stuff. I mean, if you asked me before this conversation what actually is the reason we should put products on our skin, it would be very hard for me to answer. But now, after listening to the amazing Asia sharing her experience and advice, my knowledge on this whole area has tripled or even quadrupled. I mean, I even learned what's the deal with coconut oil, whether it is this amazing magical ingredient like half of the world is saying or if it's the worst thing to put on my skin like the other half of the world is saying so i actually know the answer and if you want to know too sit back relax and please enjoy asia fee okay that is great and that will just help me uh, so asia it's a pleasure to have you here with me. Thank you so much for coming. How are you? How is uh, that Alaskan winter treating you? Oh
1: my goodness, it is definitely chilly over here um, but mm. it's so
0: nice. We have tons of snow. You know what getting... is the Alaskan definition of chilly? because I can' imagine <laughs> that probably for me it's more it's more than chilly you know um a couple of weeks ago
1: we were um, down in the negatives. Mm. Um, at one point, um, we're back up to the 20s and 30s uh, Fahrenheit. Um, yeah, but it can get as low as Oh, gosh, I think the lowest I've been in recently was actually in like negative 45 degrees Celsius. Ooh. yeah, it was very chilly. Oh my gosh.
0: <laughs> that is that is not chilly. That is like, extremely freezing and I don't know it's like is it like safe to actually like function in those temperatures and be outside in that one if you're properly bundled up it's completely fine
1: um okay the place we were visiting was actually an entire town that lives throughout that Mm -hmm. kind of weather during the winter time so they're completely acclimated to it but um yeah i mean if you aren't properly swaddled uh it could be a little dangerous just because uh the fluids in your eyes can (laughs) freeze Mm. like that's a big thing oh my
0: gosh (laughs) yeah i've never thought about that oh yeah i'm curious like how this temperature and living in those kind of places affects like the culture of the people who like experience these kinds of like winter every year and i think that that has to have some effect
1: Oh, definitely. Yeah. Uh, talking with people who have lived out here much longer than I have. It is insane to see how much they prepared for it. And something I wasn't used to um, was the amount of like fur that people wear out here. Oh, yeah. Whether they're native or not. Um, it's very mm-hmm. common for people to wear um, fur out here. But that's the thing is, most of the time, it's, you know, locally sourced or um, you know something they've yeah. been practicing for generations and it's a really neat practice because a lot of it is very beautiful and it's kind of mm. different than what I'm used to seeing because a lot of people are against for yeah. you know like in LA fashion culture nowadays but out mm-hmm. here it's completely practical and it's still a sustainable way of living just because there is the amount of like you know uh, wildlife to support that it's not like they're making yeah. any animals go extinct after after doing it it's quite literally for survival purposes
0: mm. yeah and probably that kind of uh, coats just stay in the family and get like passed down because i mean they usually are of higher quality and do not uh, like their little lo- longevity of these kind of pieces is, is just uh, higher mm-hmm. um but you know now it like turned into like some kind of winter fashion corner so <laughs> welcome to that um uh, before we jump into the conversation i want to ask you for your recommendation of the week uh, something that you can share with me and the listeners that you think we can find inspirational or just thought-provoking or just pleasant so what can you share with us this week Ooh, okay so
1: um you know i i do listen to quite a bit of podcasts but i feel like lately um i've been tuning into a lot more instagram lives lately especially Mm -hmm. if you have like a like specific scientists that you want to follow so if there's somebody that really inspires you or is in a field that you really want to pursue really stay up to date on um, any of their talks coming up and stuff like that especially on Instagram I feel like that's like the biggest place where people are advertising um, events that they're doing coming up or Instagram lives and it's a really great way to get one-on-one talks with them and I find them really Mm. inspirational because you know you get to talk these conversations that people don't post about so we post about you know the heightened parts of our lives but it gets more personal when you get to talk to them like that and they they're more realistic so you really get to hear the hardships that it took to get where they are and I think it's Mm. it's really a great um a great listen
0: yeah I mean it's a great insight into like what it takes to like live that lifestyle because I think a lot of especially a lot of the young people who are like studying and like dreaming about being quote-unquote real scientists I think uh, there's a lot of like glamorization of that of that lifestyle and I mean I can imagine that there's a lot of like good aspects but probably it's not all pretty so it's a great resource to kind of make sure that you are really informed about the field that you are coming into definitely Okay, so I will leave the link to that in the episode description so everyone can check that out. And now I want to just jump straight into uh, my questions. (laughs) So I want to first ask you about the backstory uh, because I think that allows um, me and the listeners to kind of better understand then your advice and your mindset. Uh, So can you walk us through your journey of... um, of becoming like this woman of STEM and talk about these early days before you like even considered uh, starting your business or yeah just have you always been like very passionate about about science and, and chemistry? I would say yes so uh, you know I've always been more of the like creative
1: type so I was constantly drawing or painting and so um, you know I would like participate in like science things and I thought they were really fun but ultimately one of the like biggest things for me was the science fair when I was in you know elementary school uh, because I was really bored with everyone else's science projects like everyone else had mom and dad help them on their projects and I didn't have that sort of support and I was mm-hmm. like that's so typical. It's so boring. And I was like, so young, but I was like, no, I don't want to do that. So I would try and like do the craziest thing possible. And I ended up getting to go to um, like the county fair, uh, which was really exciting. I didn't place because like my poster was not that great but it was still a really cool experience and I got to see all the high school students uh like Mm. their projects and they were insane I got to see so many cool ones and I was like man I didn't know we could do that as like research and um so it was a really eye-opening experience but I think I fully um got into science when I was in high school so um I took a lot of you know chemistry courses I even took AP chemistry and I was very interested in it um, but I wasn't originally going to go into chemistry, actually. Um, I originally oh. wanted to go into culinary school.
0: <laughs> oh, um, that's a, I mean, yeah. that's kind of chemistry.
1: That's basically <laughs> cooking, I mean. Oh, yeah, de- in a sense, definitely, <laughs> yeah. Um, I used to bake a lot, like, from elementary school up until high school. Um, I was really into baking cupcakes and decorating them, so I used to bring them to school for every holiday, and I was, like, dead set on, like, this is mm. the profession. I'm going to go to culinary school. Um, but then, yeah, I, I had a change in thought because I was like, you know, if I'm going to go to school and I'm spending th- so much money on a degree, I want it to be something rigorous and meaningful. And not to say that bakers aren't, like, meaningful, but <laughs> I was like, I'm going to be spending We all lot... really value them. Oh, I, I do. I really do. <laughs> I love me some cake, but I, I and also... And I think they know that. <laughs> yeah, I was like... I want to pursue something that's, you know, challenging, Mm. and it's going to be worthwhile, at least for me. So um, I decided to pursue my love for science instead, and I went Mm. for chemistry. And um, that's actually also the origin story for Alchemist Asia as well, was uh, before I even decided to start my own business, when I was in high school, um, the reason i found my love for chemistry was because of makeup so I was also really involved with doing my makeup because I was like the more creative side of me it was my way of expressing myself and um, I couldn't afford the lipstick shades I wanted so if there was like a purple lipstick I wanted the cheapest one I could find was like $25 and that was really expensive for a high school student so I started you know, searching and seeing how I could make my own and I bought a whole bunch of supplies and I ended up making my own lipstick and I was really surprised at the process and throughout that process I learned cosmetic chemistry and I was like Oh my gosh, I didn't even know this existed. I thought you had to just, you know, do a specific thing to be a chemist. But chemists can be all sorts of things and that was kind of how my passion for cosmetic chemistry started, but I didn't initially go into that when I went into my degree. So I I did go into chemistry, but I focused more on um, research, organic chemistry, medicinal chemistry. And it was when I graduated that I actually revisited that love for cosmetic chemistry because of quarantine. I started making my mm. own cosmetics again, and Alchemist Asia happened. <laughs> and it was yeah. just something I was – not expecting even in that year it just it just happened
0: i mean i find that these kinds of projects that you are just not expecting but one day are just like shit i should do that i and and all my favorite things including this podcast are just you know have stemmed from me just like sitting one day and and like thinking a lot about something that just randomly popped up in my head and I was just like, yeah, I should actually just do that. And and usually there is not too much like overthinking in these kinds of uh, moments. Um, and I think this is what makes these kinds of projects very special because your creative side can like take control and not that anxious overthinking. I mean, I still was overthinking before I started. However, the spontaneity of all of that. There's something in that. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I think I want to get into the story of Alchemist Asia from like the background, because I think not a lot of us know what actually takes uh, for these companies, uh, these beauty companies to like give us those products. And so I wanted to ask you like the probably most basic question of it all, because I wanted to ask, what actually is the reason why we need to invest in beauty apart from just, you know, wanting to put some makeup on ourselves? Uh, why do we as humans need to, you know, buy creams and, you know, shouldn't we have some kind of evolutionary mechanism to help with that? And yeah, what is just the science behind beauty? Because I think like you're the perfect person to ask that. <laughs> you are like the combination of both of these worlds. So... What is, right, what is the science behind beauty products? So it's a
1: huge question. And it's a totally Mm -hmm. valid question as well, because people are often like, well, why do we need this? Like, you know, let's say 20 years ago, did we care about our eyebrows that much? You know, things like that. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, there are some evolutionary things. So for I think the biggest example is probably our fingernails. So fingernails Mm -hmm. were, you know, grown in, evolutionarily to like protect our fingertips and our toe tips you know and the same goes for melanin so melanin is the skin pigment that we all have um, some of us have more than others too and it's a protectant essentially but even people with higher uh, concentrations of melanin still need protection from the uv and then that goes into sunscreen essentially so sunscreen's a an important investment because We need to have that sort of protection that we can't provide ourselves. So melanin can only do so much, uh, but you still are at risk of, you know, skin cancer or sun exposure, things like that when you are exposed to UV, either from the sun or, you know, like tanning, uh, which is you know slowly dying out which is great to hear yeah. that people are tanning a lot less <laughs> just because there's a lot of risk involved but essentially the biggest picture of what is the science behind beauty is you know a constant change of what people see as beauty in standards today um mm. you know you can date as far back as you know centuries and centuries ago um and you know, something that was like more important was, you know, skin pigment being paler. And they had technology and products to help with that where it was skin lightening, or they had a topical powder that would cover up to make them more pale. And then you come in today where our main focus is, um, especially today, skincare is super important. So people are trying to take more preventative measures, which is something we couldn't do previously. It was more of like, you know how can we fix what you look like today whereas skincare and makeup Mm. today is how can we prevent your skin from looking terrible tomorrow yeah which (laughs) is
0: like the biggest success of the whole industry that that we are more like coming from a place of like self-compassion and not like self-hatred
1: yeah so and that's the thing too is like it and it's not all just um you know physical appearance too it's Things that are, um, you know, let's take acne into consideration. So acne can evolve into something worse or, um, you know, it can spread like germs and things like that, too, Um, especially if it is like, you know, let's say like hormonal or something from like touching your phone, not so much as like cystic or things that are like hereditary. Uh, But even then, there are, you know, more technology and more innovations to help with that um, so I think it, it, it is really crazy how much science goes into beauty and how much it has changed over the years mm. and why we even do it in the first place. Um, but it's something that, you know, essentially the masses are looking into. It's something that everybody wants, but it's also a great way to just take care of yourself.
0: Yeah. So from that basic fundamental perspective, uh, what should go into like a good like for example cream or balm or like a face mask because you said you started just doing that on your own in quarantine so for a second not looking at what actually is going on in those products and all the bad stuff that is there what actually makes a a, a useful um, and actually effective uh, like product like a cream and or right a a face mask
1: yes and the best way to answer this I would say is knowing yourself and you know some people may not some people do um, Mm. but it's quite literally the person itself so if you are someone with let's say allergies or you need products that are hypoallergenic an ingredient that's going to be the most important to you Is essentially something that's good for your sensitive skin If you're someone who is oily You want something that's good for your oily skin Um, If there's a product that makes you break out And you see there's a correlating ingredient Maybe don't change that ingredient So say if um, uh, Let's just say like olive oil If there's olive oil in Mm -hmm. this product And it makes you break out Maybe don't try a product with olive oil So it really does differ from person to person But essentially, um, if I had to say one thing about, you know, those general products, especially because those three actually do have something very in common, Mm. and that's moisture. So when it comes to moisture, it's finding the right product that is either going to bring moisture in or protect moisture to keep it from running out.
0: Actually, I didn't know that there was like this difference in dose two. That's good to know.
1: Yeah, that's uh, one that, I feel like it gets glossed over very often uh, especially because hyaluronic acid, hyaluronic acid is a super trendy ingredient Mm. in uh, a lot of skincare and even cosmetics nowadays Um, but it is one of those ingredients where it is drawing moisture out and bringing it in whereas some other ingredients are more of a protective barrier so um, essentially like your emollients so things like shea butter or like thicker waxier products like that Mm. they'll keep the moisture in but it's not bringing any moisture out of nowhere so it's just kind of like a coating that protects it so there's two different types of ways you can moisturize so I think um knowing which one you need or maybe a combination of both but essentially for all those products um I want to see moisturizing agents as my first thing
0: Mm. that is so interesting I mean and it's also like kind of I don't know frustrating that I never knew that and I think like with this whole thing with skincare there's a lot of just misconceptions and misunderstanding of actually what these products do because um, I for example I just know that when I put like some nice cream on my skin is just you know a bit smoother but I don't know what are the reactions that are like happening in my skin and I just trust that okay this made my skin smoother then I should use that but I don't know for that is just me but For example me I very often experience um, like this stinging feeling when I put some whatever cream it is actually very often and no matter what kind of quote-unquote good cream I reach for there is just something wrong always and that's why I was like you considering um, making my own stuff and I think a lot of people are and so maybe can you just like share some basic ingredients that we can buy um, in the pharmacy or we can make on our own that would make those just basics and not probably not asking for a recipe because like you said it depends on a person Um but what are those agre- ingredients because I assume that they are not actually that hard to find. Yeah so there's a lot of uh, topical ingredients that You
1: could buy on your own and it's a great way to start especially for people who are more sensitive so there is always this kind of like battle between like us and like the people who make their own stuff i'm like you know i'm not deferring you from doing that but it's doing it in a safe practice that essentially is the most important and i think um one ingredient that is you know super common in a lot of you know lip care a lot of facial care hair care too um, are essentially going to be oils. And I think mm-hmm. a really common one is vitamin E oil. So that one you can buy. It's very affordable, but it's also very effective, which is really great. So you could use a few drops here for your cuticles. You could have a couple of drops in your hair. Um, it's great for... Uh, using as a facial oil not too much in abundance of course but just a few drops to you know really just like massage your face in it has so many different uses and because there's no added things to it it could be a lot more beneficial to people with sensitive skin so that is definitely an ingredient you could practice with Mm. something like that um as opposed to like coconut oil I try to tell people I'm like don't be putting coconut oil (laughs) everywhere that that one's um so the big difference between those are um, another term that isn't really talked about um, is non comedogenic which means, you know, not going to block your pores essentially. Mm. And there are, you know, good oils that you can definitely eat. So you can eat coconut oil and coconut oils and a lot of, you know, great products, but um, that one's going to block your pores. And, you know, that's not something we yeah. want. <laughs> so knowing the difference between those, like even the, simple ingredients that you could buy from the store is a huge thing that i wish Mm. people knew more about
0: yeah i mean this is so great like i think you are like a godsend for all (laughs) of us because right nobody teaches those things and we have that you know from pinterest or instagram those recipes like use coconut oil take some essential oils mix them together you have a cream and i'm just like what the fuck i think it takes a bit more than that um and right, like I've heard I don't know where, but I've heard like you have some like ashy elbows, take some olive oil and wrap those. <laughs> and I just think there's so many misconceptions and I think for a reason. And I think those big beauty companies, they don't really want the consumers to know because it's easier to get away with some things that maybe they do not want to um, be known for. And so I think they can mm, sort of manipulate if it's like explicitly or implicitly, but manipulate the consumers Um, And so I wanted to ask you how we can read the labels on our beauty products or before we buy them. um, What are some ingredients that we should be careful about? And also what are some that we should look for? uh, Apart from, of of course, that uh, vitamin A oil. That was that? Vitamin E. E Sorry, you know, this is this is that this is I feel like I'm in school right now, which is actually a great feeling because I'm fresh. I am I just love knowing stuff. And this one area, I think it's frustrating how little I know. Yeah, I feel
1: the same way. It was a huge learning process for me as well. And especially when it's in a field you're so interested in and you're learning something that you Mm. completely don't know. It's just that much more like edible. You just want to get more of it and just really sink your Mm, teeth into it. (laughs) Um, but yeah, I can tell you, oh my goodness, labels are a huge thing. I think even, uh, before I got into cosmetic chemistry, you know, it was something I experienced. And that's the thing is like, I, I'm still a consumer and I look at the back of products all the time and I'm always like, you know, what is that? And I always love when I could see like the Latin reference to, uh, your more natural ingredients. So, say for instance, like aloe vera, it's gonna have its mm. uh Latin term, and then in parentheses it has uh the regular term. I'm like, that's interesting. It. I always thought to myself, mm-hmm. how do they get these products inside of this? Because I know oil and water don't mix, like things like that. So yeah. it's just that simple curiosity is really what pushed me to want to know how to read those. And the biggest thing I tell people when it comes to labels is, it's a it is a different language. But you shouldn't mm. be ignorant about learning a different language. I think it's the same kind of stigma there is with like learning something outside of English, especially for people mm. in the US. You know, if it's not English, they're like, I don't want anything to do with it. And I'm automatically going to assume they're saying something terrible about me. That's how people feel about labels, essentially, is I can't understand this. So it must be bad for me. And that's just not the case. And um, mm. I think the best way to understand it is to you know go and refer to scientists um you know looking up the ingredients yourself as opposed to like going after influencers who say this ingredient's bad for you um a lot of the time if I hear that an ingredient's bad for me I'm like okay well you know as a consumer that's concerning but as a scientist I want to know what that means essentially and the a lot of the time what happens is if they find that this ingredient is not doing well in the masses or there's a big push, let's say benzene, benzene's a huge, huge one right now where people are like, there's benzene and sunscreen. That's dangerous. Mm. I don't want it. When I'm like, okay, well, they're also pushing other stuff that are just substitutes of that. So if it really is truly bad, why do we have the substitute, which is almost identical, especially in mm. um, a molecular, uh, speaking term like so the shapes could be quite literally the Mm -hmm. same and that's just something people don't know and I wish it's something we could educate on so I suppose when it goes into um reading your labels um Mm. you know if there is ingredients that you're concerned about there are a lot of websites that help um describe what it is I recommend going on and these are completely free and available to anybody not just cosmetic chemists but there are websites mm-hmm. where you can go and look up as if you were shopping for that ingredient say um, if you were trying to buy I'm not going to say like benzene but like uh, let's say you're trying to buy aloe vera but it's said very differently you can go on those websites and they describe to you how it's derived how it's used and different applications of it And that's a really big way that I use for products that even aren't the ones I'm making for myself. If there's a new product I want to try out, but there's an ingredient I'm like, I've never heard of. It's a great way to do it. And you can learn so much about it and its chemistry. And I feel like that's a huge way to do it. So maybe not so much at the store, but like online shopping, it's very useful.
0: Yeah. I mean you can do it in the store. Um if you will send me those websites I will then also link them in the episode description so you can just check that out. And I will also for sure just have that always with me. Uh because yeah, I think we sometimes forget that we have in our pockets, you know, the whole like Alexandrian library. So we can just, you know, dig up everything. And it's useful because when you see these words which are like a mile long and you're just thinking what the heck those little different letters and combination and so many x's and o's and whatever mean um, and so as you said it's a different language and a lot of people are kind of afraid of even trying to approach these because then it just feels bad. I mean, no one likes to feel um that they don't know something because it, it feels like you're stupid and that you are supposed to know this. So it's easier to just ignore it. And so having these websites and feeling like I am not stupid. I just no one ever taught me this. I think that's very useful. So thank you for that recommendation. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Also, when it comes to beauty these days, I think what consumers, probably not all of them, but a lot more, and I personally um, care more and more about the sustainability of, of the products that I'm using. And I think this is the reason why these days we can see on the labels words like uh, eco-friendly or clean or cruelty-free or like vegan. And sometimes I think probably that is true, but I think very often... It might be greenwashing because, you know, greenwashing right now is just ubiquitous. And so I wanted to ask you if you can talk a bit about that since you are in the industry and what do you think about this rise of these quote unquote like clean products and if you can share some tips on how we can recognize if they actually are sustainable.
1: Yeah, definitely. This is a huge topic and it's a topic I, I love to continue speaking in because it's continuously growing. Um, I actually recently did a post on my Instagram, which I can also link to. It was also one of my mm. most popular posts in the last like month or two. Um, I had like over a 100 plus people who had shared it because they were like really interested on it. And I was like not expecting that. And Mm -hmm. it was quite literally talking about the clean or natural or sustainable beauty industry and really understanding what that means. So in just simple, simple definition, uh, there is no such thing of clean beauty in the industry, in the beauty industry. So as far as like science term goes or anything um, in product manufacturing, that doesn't really exist. It is a marketing term. Um, are we hoping it can, you know, turn into something that we actually use in industry? Of course, like we would, if there's something we can promote that is, you know, more beneficial to our um, society, that's a huge thing. But as of right now, it's, it's just a marketing term and because it's a marketing term that means that it could mean something different across any business and that's the part Mm. that really is concerning because you can have let's take target for example they have their target uh, green initiative and when you go on their website they list all the products that do not have this set of ingredients and I'm like okay so there's that and I'm like well What about this company over here so let's look at sephora and sephora also has a green initiative and their list and there's you know of course ingredients that cross over but there's also ingredients that do not so when we say clean beauty what do we actually mean because this is one list and this is another and every single business can say whatever they want because it's a marketing term and that's where it becomes a little Mm -hmm. dangerous Um, as far as what clean beauty is, um, just because, you know, it's something I I would love to like promote a lot more, um, which is, you know, at least my definition, clean beauty is, um, you know, using more sustainable products. So, and that means not just you know, oh, okay, like, this is a greener product, but knowing about the societies that it comes from, uh, cultural things that it comes from, um, origins that it's coming from, you know, um, how it's being transported, there's so many different factors that go into it. So when it comes a physical thing, as opposed to just like the ingredient thing, that's how I see clean beauty. And when there's companies implementing that, i love it i love it so much but there are definitely companies that use it as greenwashing. you know whether it be their packaging and their labeling where it says gluten-free vegan free Mm. when um i hate to break it to a lot of people a lot of cosmetics were like that before the label (laughs) Mm. Uh, we just didn't market it that way because it wasn't something that people were looking for but now that they see it on a label it's like oh well that's concerning was there ever like animal ingredients in this product and it's like it's turned the world over essentially but Mm. it's an ever-growing term right now and i'm hoping we get more clarity in the future just because we're just as confused as a lot of consumers are because Mm. the term keeps changing depending on how people want to mold it to whatever suits their needs
0: yeah I mean, it's again, for for the consumer, it's just very disorienting because from each product, you can see that it's suddenly clean and sustainable. But, you know, like from statistics, you know that it's not possible for every product in the aisle to be actually coming from good treatment of the people who made it and also the things that were used for the production, the plants and whatever animal product it was, there are ways to make it good for the people and good for the planet and good for the communities that these products came from. And it's disorienting because you don't know which one you can actually pick and which one will actually not harm the planet. And I think we all suffer so much from climate anxiety and we just don't want to feel bad about the choices that we are making as consumers and it's just it's just frustrating because you don't know who you can trust and like sure you have some websites when you can just like write down the, the name of a brand and see how sustainable they are but apart from that you just you you're making an educated guess and hopefully you're picking a brand that is better um, and so I wanted to like, ask from a perspective of a person that is actually in the industry, what are some practices that you are making sure are present in your company that are more sustainable and how are you making sure that these products that you are selling are good for the people and come from uh, good sources and how can we also look for that in other uh, brands? definitely yeah so something that we implement on
1: our own as well is you know where we source ingredients and one of my favorite ingredients that we have been sourcing is local which is very hard to do especially here in Alaska Um, there's a lot more resources in the lower 48 of the U.S. but up here it's really difficult but the biggest thing Mm -hmm. for me was being able to find that and it was honey so um, I have a a couple of products that have honey in it and, you know, for a while I had to use, you know, um, typical on the shelf honey, um, from what I was purchasing, but I was able to get some local honey, which was really awesome because a lot of the products that I was, you know, selling, uh, locally were for people who are in Alaska. And if you haven't heard previously, or if, um you are someone who practices, like, in your family. I know in my family, it's like, if you eat honey that's locally sourced, you're going to have a lot of the pollen and different uh, species of plants that are out in your area, and it helps with your allergies. And that's, like, a huge mm. thing. And so knowing that, you know, I'm providing, um, like, locally sourced honey to these same people who are out in the community as I am, it's really it's really good knowing. Um, and another good practice that I think has been – you know, really great for me, not only being a small business owner, but uh, for the planet as well is small batches and, um, you know, not mass producing. There's a lot of waste that goes into cosmetics and we take up a very large percentage of waste in, in the U.S. And that's just the unfortunate thing, whether it be our packaging, whether it be, you know, expired ingredients or uh, products that just didn't sell well. There's a lot of it in dumpsters and I'm not trying to do that. So when Mm. I make my products, I make them in much smaller batches. So sometimes it does take a minute to restock just because I don't want to make a whole bunch of product. And then say, for instance, a quarter of that doesn't sell by the expiration date. And then I have to throw it all away. It's wasteful of our sources. It's wasteful of our labor, but it's just straight up wasteful and just not great to toss out so much stuff and that's the unfortunate truth about the beauty industry is you know there's a constant push that you need all of these products like you need to have the newest one and try this one before finishing the next or the previous one and that's something we don't implement so we you know we just started an initiative called the green alchemy project which is essentially describing different ways that you could be more sustainable not only on your end but on how we do on our end and helping provide resources to our customers. So we now provide refills on certain products. So if you submit your uh, containers empty, uh, they get sanitized, and we refill your product for a discount. Um, Also, we have our cosmetic jars, similar to, like, these. And Mm -hmm. if you finish your cosmetic product or you finish your candle, we can uh, provide you with a candle kit so you can make your own candle out of it or um, something that I'm really hoping – to do more of here in the future is uh, we've connected with a program that donates products to, uh, to women in need essentially. And that helps with a lot of cosmetic waste because especially with influencers, they get so many different products that, you know, either go to waste or they just, you know, tax it off in their giveaways, but you can actually give it to these programs who provide it to people who, you know, aren't accessible to uh, a lot of the cool skincare that a lot of us regular consumers get to do. Um, and so it's it's really neat to do that, and um, it's another resource we provide yeah. to our audience. So if they have products that they know they aren't going to finish and it's unexpired and it's unopened, they can donate it as well.
0: So those are just a few different ways mm. we're trying to implement that. And, and I mean, like... <laughs> it's amazing. Like, like as a consumer, I'm just having like a crush uh, on Alchemist Asia, and I think like shout out to you. Like, this is exactly I think what 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 we want to hear, and I think it's so admirable, and it's great that you like are implementing all these different pra- practices. And I think that's that's so great. <laughs> Thank you so. Yeah, I, I think that's
1: the important thing about essentially you know being quote unquote a sustainable business is you know not how much you're marketing off of it but what you're actually doing for the environment essentially mm-hmm. so, you know sustainable when I think of that I think of the environment essentially and you know it's less about you know how green an ingredient is in my product it's more of the practice that goes into it I think and those are some of the more successful ones the ones that you know take affirmative action to provide mm-hmm. that sustainability to you know their local environments
0: yeah and i mean like a tip for anyone listening if you want to make sure that the choices you are making are better for the planet uh it's just to support these smaller businesses i know one that is linked in the episode description and just uh (laughs) supporting those smaller businesses because it's like an insurance that you are making better choices than when you support these bigger brands that um, that are cheaper. However, because they are bigger, they just are not able to use more sustainable resources or the production and the batches is even if they want to, usually it's just not as possible. And so supporting your own local and just smaller businesses, I think it's just like an insurance policy that the choices you're making are not bad. Um, and also I had one question because you mentioned expiration dates and I think this is something that I've always been another like misconception because everyone in my family always told me that expiration dates on like creams and beauty products don't matter you can use them years after after they're expired and how how that actually works can you explain yeah so uh,
1: cosmetic products 100% can expire and um, you know whether it fully goes like moldy or you know just just doesn't function as it's intended to so that's a huge factor and that's why there is that misconception is um, people look at an eyeshadow palette and they're like that's powder like how is powder gonna go bad but you know, after some time, that powder is just not going to function how it was initially intended to because it's gone past its expiration date. Not to mention, um, you know, a lot of festering, especially if you don't take care of it yourself too, and making sure it's properly cleaned in between like uses. Um, That can also affect the quality of it and, you know, make the expiration date come closer than you think. Um, So for products like that, it's really hard to differentiate like, oh, you know, can I make this, you know, last with those ones, they do last a little bit longer. So the expiration dates are, you know, much more forgiving, but ultimately it's going to come down to like how well it's going to work. So, you know, maybe if you have Mm -hmm. an eyeshadow that you've had for like a year or two, it should be fine as long as it's, you know, taken care of, but just know that it's not going to be maybe as pigmented as previously, or it's not going to be as blendable. That's another Mm. thing too, is, you know, it could clump up over the years. Um, whereas on the other end, um, your water-based ingredients, uh, those ones are super important. So if you have moisturizers that are, you know, their first ingredient is water or an aqueous solution. Um, that's a big, big thing because it is a cesspool for germs. Anything that has water in it, has the ability to mold and that's just the unfortunate part and that's why we have these protective preservatives to ensure that they could last you know past you know a couple of weeks because if we don't use preservatives it's going moldy in like two weeks Mm, but they can definitely get um really gross and i've seen that happen before Mm. um and also the same thing as eyeshadow palette their intended use is just not going to function the same so i had even myself where and this is something I'm working on myself was I used to hoard so many different products because I was like oh I'm gonna save it I'm gonna use it I'm gonna try and finish up my stuff and it never happened so I finally like went through my drawer of stuff and I was like oh my gosh I've had this expensive face scrub for years and I didn't want to use it because it was expensive I finally busted it out and oh my gosh it was so (laughs) gross the texture was like oh my gosh the chunkiest toothpaste I've ever used in my (laughs) life it and it smelled awful and like when I would like use it it was like not it would like pill up and like get clumpy and it wouldn't exfoliate and I was like man this sucks I'm gonna leave a terrible review (laughs) and then when I went and viewed videos of people using it I saw that the texture was completely different than what I was using and I was like oh my god I went and checked the back of it and it was like three years expired (laughs) you know it it really does make a huge difference uh you know paying attention to expiration dates um and the biggest uh takeaway I, I could or at least advice I could provide to people is when you buy a product uh mark it with a sharpie or put like a sticker on it of the day that you bought it
0: mm-hmm. and
1: every product if you search on it has a little decal on it I know you can't see oh, it here yeah. but there's actually a little decal where it tells you how many months it'll last So all of your products will have um, a date on it as far as how Mm. long. So it'll say in months. So for that product that I just pulled off my shelf, it said 12 months. And because I didn't label that, that's probably bad on my part Mm. (laughs) because, you know, 12 months starting when,
0: you know, um, is the biggest thing. Oh my God, after we finish this, I got to just call my mom and tell her all about it. (laughs) Just kind of tell her just like, I told you so, because I knew that there has to be something wrong with using a cream that is like three years expired. And (laughs) there, there maybe, I mean, I think my whole life I have been approaching skincare wrong and I'm just so thankful that I have still just, like, most of my life ahead of me, that I can change those habits for better ones (laughs) and just not put, like, shit on my skin because that is not where we want to be. And I think, like, so many of us, like, struggle with the state of our skin and, like, acne and, you know, just aside from the fact that it's just normal like some amount of mm, acne when you are young and also when you're adult it's normal Uh, however I think since there is so many misconceptions and myths out there we somehow can make stuff even worse without knowing and and this is I mean, this whole thing is very frustrating that there is not that much education up out there. You know, everyone is talking about the diet that you should eat and what is good for you, but no one talks about what you should put on your skin, which is like your largest organ. Mm-hmm. Okay, so aside from beauty now, I wanted to talk a bit about um, you and your lovely community that you built on online platforms, because uh, when we were... Talking when we just met, we were talking about the science stigma, and this is something that I actually have been talking with a couple of my guests in the past, and this is something that I'm very passionate about, because I think um, right now it's great to see minorities in STEM and and women in STEM, but I think that discrimination changed from just the fact that these minorities were not like allowed in but now i think there is just like a lot of different standards on what a scientist should be Mm. like quote unquote um and so i wanted to ask you what has been your experience with with science stigma and and that influence on on this online science community oh my goodness that is It's a huge thing. It is a Mm. huge
1: thing. And I think it honestly stems from, let's look at, like, you know, the original scientists, or at least what our textbooks tell us. You know, it's typically an old white man. Yeah. And that's usually every story, you know, like, you know, uh, that's how it usually starts. Mm. And I think even as, you know, we slowly become more socially accepting of, like, you know, different people, different cultures, um, different aspects, different characteristics, um, there's always gonna be that part where they're like, okay, we'll expand it this much and then we're gonna stop at this thing because we don't like this thing. And then, you know, mm-hmm. hopefully they get it more expansive. So I think, you know, I think it first started with, Okay, you know, this is a selective group that can only perform science. Like these are the only people who look the part and then slowly they expand it and, you know, maybe let some women in but they had to look a certain way and then even then it was like okay we can have women but we can't have women of color like that's Mm. just like a no-go and then from there it was like okay we can have different women different women of color but you can't wear makeup you got to look professional you know (laughs) and so it's just there's something always wrong like there's just something Mm. we're not doing good enough to be a scientist and I think it's bullcrap you know and Mm. so there is huge stigma in both industries in the science industry and in the beauty industry they don't like each other for some reason so there's that stigma that beauty can't be in science so we can't wear cosmetics we can't put Mm -hmm. our hair up and be taken seriously as a scientist as opposed to you know the beauty industry where it's like oh well we can't have science in this because if there's a chemical in our product we know it's bad which is complete bullshit as well And Mm. trying to find a balance between the two is essentially my passion. I want to be able to bring science back into beauty where people, you know, are aware of the science that goes behind their ingredients or aware of the chemicals and the different chemical processes that happens in between, you know, how skincare functions. But I also want people to be confident, you know, wearing makeup in the lab and knowing that it is okay. Because that's a huge thing is, you know, people try to pull the, oh, it's not sanitary stunt when in mm-hmm. actuality you can wear makeup in the lab. It's, yeah. um, it's reapplying makeup that's actually not allowed, which is completely understandable. It's just like eating food because it's a transfer
0: in, mm-hmm. of
1: like different surfaces. You know, there's different contaminants, whether it be a chemical or bacteria, you could transfer from one to the other. So you could have a lipstick and say, if your lipstick gets anywhere, on the product that you're working on You could completely Like destroy your research Right there Um And opposite you know say if you're working with A very contagious Like virus in a <laughs> In a petri dish yeah. And then you're like okay I'm going to touch that And then go touch my eye because I need to fix mm-hmm. my mascara That is so dangerous On both ends So when it, people talk about makeup in the lab They're like oh you can't wear it in the lab You can but you just can't cr- cross contaminate like you would with anything else yeah, and I feel like the people who actually have a better practice of that are actually people who wear makeup because they have these learned habits of I don't want to touch my face because it's going to ruin my makeup so they actually <laughs> exactly. I know I so think they're sense. cleaner that way <laughs>
0: yeah I mean, it's uh, I I can imagine that it has to be so frustrating. Um, have you had those situations or, or comments where people were maybe not like criticizing, but just some unkind or uh, stereotypical comments on on what you are doing and what kind of you know type of scientist you are uh, in their view? Oh yeah, like two days ago. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm i, I so actually sorry. i
1: did a uh a, a video about um that same misconception i was telling you about where people can't wear makeup in the mm. lab and i made a real or a, a tiktok about it and i actually had a girl mm. who commented on it and she was like um but no seriously you're not supposed to wear makeup in the lab like what what's the deal with that mm. and so i had to make like a whole video explaining it and i was like you know this is a valid you know she was asking Um, and I was like, you know, it's a valid question. It still came from a place of like a little bit of attitude, but I wanted to, you know, give her the benefit of the doubt. You know, maybe this is just, she just is genuinely curious. So I took the opportunity to share that same thing. And, you know, I have the signs to prove it, even in the labs that I have worked in, when you Mm -hmm. see the signs, it's no food, like no eating in the lab, no food in the lab and no reapplying makeup in the lab. And I had to explain this, Mm -hmm. you know, through a video. Um, but you know, it happens a lot. Um, especially when I was an undergrad and was working lab, I would come in with a full face of makeup and like huge lashes. And a lot of the times I wasn't taken seriously that I wasn't there to learn mm-hmm. and I wasn't qualified to do the work I was doing because of the way I looked and essentially you just, ha- you have to prove them wrong. You just have to, you know, wear the makeup every single day <laughs> yeah. and then, and then beat and them. And own it, girl. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, it, it, I mean, yeah. oh, it's All of these kind of things just make my blood boil a bit. And also, I wanted to ask, like, just the fact that you have uh, these platforms on TikTok and Instagram, uh, I'm curious, in the science community, is it more, like admired that that there are so many like platforms and like you are sharing those stuff with with right us newbies uh, or is it frowned upon which which like would you say is like the most common um, approach from like the typical science community? Yeah, so this is
1: actually a, com- uh, a conversation me and my chemistry friends had recently because um, we have people who um, are like, their bosses or their employees actually get involved with the social media work that they do. And Mm, it's super successful. You know, there's really big TikTok and Instagram accounts that do that sort of stuff. And when they get involved, it gets people more involved in the science and they get excited because it's like you get to see this side of science that people don't talk about. Like, you know, people don't Mm. think science can be like fun or creative or sassy. That's what they're, you know, proving against. But on the other end, there's still (laughs) these people out here who think it's unprofessional to be like that or, like, dress a certain way on, like, social media or talk about certain topics or, you know, God forbid you cuss on social media as a scientist, too. Um, I had a friend who had the same problem where, um, like, they got reported um, to their manager and they, like, they had to have, like, a talk about it. But she's also super successful and monetizes off of social media and has a great audience who wants to learn so much more from her because she's a successful science communicator and that's what I think it is I think you know it's it's definitely growing you know had I started my account maybe like two or three years ago doing science I don't think I would have been successful on it Mm. completely because I it didn't exist people weren't looking for that and they didn't they're like, "Oh, I don't like I I go on Instagram for fun and I want to see like, you know, stylish people or I want to see famous people. Mm-hmm. I don't want to see science. Like that's not fun. That's that's boring. That's what I go to school for." That's completely not it. It's definitely changed in the recent years and it's way more socially acceptable and if anything people want more of it. And that's why you have these great creators because, you know, they have this background in science and science communication and being able to navigate that on social media is a huge skill it's really knowing your audience and that's something we all learn when you go into research because you have to cater your research to every audience member you have to be able to talk to a six-year-old a 16-year-old and a 60-year-old and that's Mm. what Instagram is essentially
0: and I think like at the end of the day what you are doing is just spreading the knowledge and spreading the love for science and making people inspired especially young people out there who are interested and in, and maybe right are a bit like scared of how uh, the science lifestyle is going to be like and if it's going to be right boring and not creative and i think through showing them the like the completely awesome like fun aspect a lot of i think especially girls um can be encouraged and empowered and finally you know it's not something that you should be ashamed of that you are into science i think my favorite way to like compliment my friends is to tell them you're such a nerd and i love that this (laughs) is becoming a thing uh, because like nerd is just a person who's such a you know it's so passionate about something and i am a nerd and i'm proud of it and it's like my one of my favorite qualities i'm a huge nerd and I fucking own it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. This has been such a great conversation. I am so thankful to you for coming and for educating us and for spreading the love and for spreading the passion and for being my, you know, friend nerd and just being the star that we need.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me as well. Um, I love hearing these questions, you know, because it shows how much people are genuinely interested in these topics you know people are like why are you having this conversation all the time and like don't you ever get bored of talking about the same topics i'm like no i don't because this is mm-hmm. what people want to know and it's conversations that i yeah. feel should happen and again that's why we are science communicators is to meet other scientists and to really navigate what we are doing, and how people can get involved. And so I was really grateful for this conversation today. And I think we burned through some awesome topics that I hope everyone enjoys. Mm.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think they will. And if they want to learn more, where the listeners can go and find you online and in all different spaces to to get more info. Yeah, definitely. So um I was blessed with a very
1: unique name. So if you look up Asia Fee on almost anything, you you should usually find me at the top. So Instagram, Asia Fee, TikTok, Asia Fee, LinkedIn, Facebook, you name it, Asia Fee. Okay, great. I also have a, a blog too.
0: Yeah, so everything uh, along with the recommendations and with the websites that you can use to check different ingredients in your beauty products, all of that will be linked in the show notes and go there for all the goodies. And yeah, again, Asia, thank you so much for coming. Yes, thank you so much again for having me. Okay, now, all the people like me who, until very, very recently, definitely not just after this conversation, used to use face creams a year past their expiration date, please raise your hand. And yeah, I just put up both of my hands and feet in the air, by the way. Yeah, I mean, I know this is an audio-only podcast, but, you know, your girl needs to do a visual bit every once in a while, okay? We gotta just switch things up sometimes, even though I am the only one who can know what is going on. Okay, uh, but seriously, though, please do not tell me that I am the only one, because that is just pure embarrassing I mean, at least I'm happy that I learned about this as a considerably young person. Because, I mean, who knows what would happen if a 70-year-old me started using a, I don't know, 5-year-old anti-aging cream. So, yeah, I don't know. Asia, I think you might actually have prevented me from becoming some sort of ninja turtle style mutant. So, really, thank you so much for educating all of us and saving our skins. Pan definitely. Intended. <laughs> okay, so now that half of the listeners is gone, <laughs> I want to share with you my insight of the week. And this week is going to be a tiny bit different because I decided to share with you some of my favorite mind blowing facts because I just feel like I am the kind of person who is just a magnet for these types of scientific yet absolutely irrelevant and not useful to our daily lives information. So, I just was inspired by Asia, who actually shared some valuable knowledge. And I decided to do the same thing with some facts that maybe will not change the quality of your life. But then, I mean, you will know some stuff. You can just show off your knowledge on like a party. And I mean, those kind of facts are so useful when you want to show off to your drunk buddies. And you just always get the reaction like, dude. So if you want to get the reaction of dude, then here are some of the facts that might help you with that. And first of all, let's get into the natural world because evolutionary speaking, sharks have been around for longer than trees. I mean, trees. And actually, there are individual sharks alive today that were born before the country of the USA even existed. So, I mean... If that's not mind-blowing, then I don't know what is. Or maybe this will be. Because uh, there are more bacteria in your gut than uh, there are stars in the Milky Way. And there are a lot of stars in the Milky Way. I mean, it's a a good galaxy. Um, The best music fact gotta be that Dolly Parton wrote Jolene and I Will Always Love You on the same car trip. I mean, she was just like driving by herself and wrote these songs. I mean, can you even imagine being in that car? I would really just want to be the fly on the wall. And I don't know, like she was driving and writing it. Maybe don't do that. There should be like a campaign. Don't write songs and drive at the same time, kids. I think that might be dangerous. Um, okay, moving on. The majority of the bones in the human body are in the hands and feet. I mean unless if the person is pregnant, in which case the majority of the bones in the human body are in the uterus, because babies have far more bones than adults, which is also kind of scary for some reason. I don't know, bones are weird for me. And there is also this very weird category of facts that I personally really like, which is facts that are definitely true, even though they definitely seem not true, like that if you are an average person, you have an above average number of legs. And I don't know, when I first heard about that, I was kind of like, this, this doesn't seem real, but it is like if you have two legs, you, are, you have an above average number of legs. And that is true. That's just statistics. Oh, That's so weird. And that sort of leads me to a similar fact. That is that you were once the youngest person on earth. So, I don't know, you can give yourself a medal for that. You were once the best at something. You were once the youngest person on earth. Good for you. Um, Okay, another fact. All humans share 99.9% of our DNA. So, there's something very heartwarming in that. That even though we have all those minor differences in opinions or like the color of our skin or whatever, we are actually pretty similar and i think we should all remember that before we just start screaming at each other or writing in caps on twitter because you know we live in a pandemic so no one uh, screams at people anymore personally um another great fact is that you shed around six hundred thousand particles of dead skin per hour and i think this is very gross kind of relevant to our skincare episode so if you Invest in some good lotion, maybe you'll shed less. Hopefully, I don't know. I think that's kind of gross. And also, this is like another fact that I have not prepared. But people in the International Space Station, people as in astronauts, need to have a a vacuum and vacuum the ISS every like I think every day because they shed that skin and the skin particles can get into some like machines and apparatus and they need to just clean that because it could just like break basically the ISS which would not be great so they have chores in the ISS and they need to vacuum their dead skin particles which I don't know I feel like that's great that they have those chores and they have to work together and divide their chores also like being astronauts, I think that's super cool. Mm, Also, every person has their own unique tongue print. So, I don't know, we could just have that in our passports, your thumbprint and your tongue print. I think that would help policemen and just fighting crime. Maybe that would work. Um, And lastly, I think my very favorite fact is that our fingers do not get pruny and wrinkly because... Like, I don't know, the water absorbs the oils out of them or whatever you've been told (laughs) your whole life. Because, you know, if nerves to the fingers get cut, they don't get pruny anymore. So it's not a physical reaction, it's a neurological one. Our bodies are intentionally making our fingers wrinkly, probably so we don't slip when we are in the water. So, laboratory tests confirmed a theory that wrinkly fingers improve our grip on wet, or submerged objects so you know people always assume that wrinkling is the result of water passing to the outer layer of the skin and making it like swell up or something but researchers have known that the effect does not occur when there is nerve damage in the fingers and yeah this is so so crazy that our bodies are so smart and we have wrinkly fingers that allow us to not slip in the shower. I mean, who knew? Now you know. Now I know. Good for us. So, that is a combination and that is the compilation of all of my favorite facts. Maybe I'll do a part two because I, like I said, I am a well of these weird scientific facts that are not really relevant in my daily life. But maybe one day they will. Maybe one day I will just have a job which will require me to know these kind of facts, which would be the dream. So I will go now and start applying for these different, I don't know, fact-checking jobs. Maybe I should do that. And you go on and have an amazing day. I hope you will take care of yourself, drink that water, get that eight to nine hours of sleep today. And yeah, kiss your grandmother or your mother if you you don't have a grandmother anymore, which I give you my condolences. Oh my God, I'm all over the place today. Anyway, I love you so much. Please take care of yourself and, if you can, of someone else too. And I will speak to you in the next episode. Being Better is edited and produced by Julia Sport. You can learn more about the show and about other work over at our website, beingbetter.info. And the Instagram is at beingbetter.pod. If you want to support us, the best way to do that is by word of mouth. So if you can, please tell your family, your friends and what the hell, also tell your enemies. You know, we don't discriminate on this podcast. So tell them about the show, tell them about why you like it and about why you like the incredibly amazing and very humble host. You can also share it on social media platforms and if you tag us, we'll make sure to reply. Thank you so much for joining us today and I'll speak to you very, very soon.